man. Here we go again. Man. Well, folks, welcome back to um, ooh, Profane Faith here. Um, this one's uh this one's gonna be a uh, this one's gonna be a deep one. I mean, we always have deep episodes, right? But this is this one this one got me. I was going. I had another guest lined up, and I started seeing all these things um, about uh, more black killings. And I was like, I got to get some friends together. And on short notice, I'm thankful for Janelle. I'm thankful for Sean, and I'm thankful for Dom um, for coming on and and uh, sharing this conversation. So, welcome, everyone. Thank you. It's good to be here. Thank you for having me, man. Appreciate you as always, Dan. Uh, yeah, grateful to be here with you. So, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I know. I like. Um, well, I mean, let's just kick this off. I mean, I know there's new news coming out too. In fact, um, I was actually out on a walk and I saw a, a, a headline that came in that talked about a new 911 calls are now, you know, being shown that you know somebody called in that there was a you know, suspicious looking black man, but let's, let's just, let's just drop right in. What, uh, and anyone can start on this, but what were y'all initial thoughts? How are y'all dealing with all of this? And, uh, yeah, let's start there. Okay. Um, I will go first. This is Janelle. Um, so I actually, first heard about Ahmaud Arbery on May 1st through Twitter. Um, and I remember I had reposted uh, the article that I had saw. My first impression was about the fact that he was jogging while black. Mm. And it was like one more thing to tick off the list that black people can't do. Um, but after that, it was just kind of like a silence and this lull. Didn't really see much action until uh, this week when the video surfaced. And then all of a sudden, social media blew up and the media blew up around it. Um, and last night, I was reflecting with our friend, Ali Henny, And because she had posted on Facebook about how she had known for a while and just needed to take time for herself. Yeah. And when I read that, it actually made me think as well, like, like what happened during this last week? I remember thinking about it, but not really being out outspoken. And, and I remember wondering, like, how come no one's really talking about this, but including myself? And... I began the process with Allie and I realized when I had first read that article, the first thing that came to my mind was Trayvon Martin because the cases were so similar. Mm. Yeah. And, um, and then when the video came out, the next thing that came to my mind, or let me back up after Trayvon Martin, then came my, uh, my thoughts about Jim Crow because I've been studying and uh, doing presentations on the history of race and democracy. So that is fresh in my mind. Hmm. Um, and having recently moved to Texas as well, and then with all the protests with people carrying guns uh, to protest the, uh, the, the shelter in place orders, uh, I felt almost a little bit paralyzed in terms of, I'm not exactly sure what to do. Like when I lived in the North and when I lived in California, like this was like, I would have been more enraged. Now I feel more fear than anything. Um, and just by that shift of location, 
uh, recognizing that Georgia is a southern state as well as Texas. I know Texans will say we're southwest, but I'm from Minnesota. So anything south of Minnesota, mm. yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's south to me and it's a Confederate state. Um, so those were things, concerns going in my mind. And then when the video blew up, uh, I it took me back to 2016 with Alton Sterling and Philando Castile. Mm. And I remember the day that I watched their videos. And I told myself, because I was trying to be brave, and like, no, I have to watch these videos so I know what's happening and going down and to be able to speak on it. And those videos, I watched those videos back to back and it wrecked me. Um, I couldn't stop crying. I was crying while I was brushing my teeth. I was crying on the way to work. Like it was involuntary tears and I couldn't hold myself together. So now that's in the back of my mind when this video pops up and I'm like, do I watch it? Do I not? Like how traumatized do I wanna be? Then that same day I'm headed to the grocery store And I'm getting in my car and I see this uh, black Chrysler that's parked across the street. This middle-aged white man is sitting in it. And my whole body just kind of tenses up and I have to talk myself down. And I have to tell myself that this guy is just probably an insurance salesman, uh, just trying to check routes or whatnot. He's not a threat to me. He's not dangerous to me. But my body can't decipher the difference yeah. like, and I'm and I'm really struggling and in in processing with Ali Henny I realized like this is all trauma right and and this whole situation has triggered trauma in my own body that I am trying to navigate and figure it out and figure out I had another friend contact me and she asked me how I was doing and in casual conversation I just mentioned to her I was like yeah you know I, I usually been really good with getting walks during quarantine but I haven't gone for a walk in a week and and then I realized yeah it's been about a week since I learned about um Ahmad Arbery Arbery. So, and I'm just piecing all these things together and, and paying attention to my own body, how it's responding to this trauma. And it's not been an easy week, um, just trying to process what happened and what continues to happen to black bodies in America. Hmm. Anyone else? John, Dom? Oh, Dom, go ahead. You know how we do. Latest first. <laughs> um, so I, I found out about our brother Ahmad yesterday. Um, and when I saw the video, I, I immediately, like Janelle, went back to Jim Crow South. Um, and I, I'm not as astute in my studies, but I remember the stories and the imagery of the stories that our grandparents like, I, I know all of us have ties to the South, as most Black American folks do. Yeah. Um, yeah. The images of the stories, I just saw it in the video, them in the bed of a pickup truck, driving high speed after him, mm-hmm. guns drawn, shotguns drawn. It it looked like something out of a a race picture from, like the early, like probably the mid eighties or something, just depicting what our ancestors and what they went through. And it's just like, I'm watching this in 2020. And I know I can't keep saying, why is this still happening in 2020? Cause white supremacy and this system does not care <laughs> what year it is. Yeah, It's going to continue 
And I'm, I honestly, I'm, I'm losing hope. I'm losing hope because I, I feel like I'm still in my 20s. I'm at the last, my last, my 29th, 29th year. Trayvon happened when I was 22. Mm. Before that, it was Gina Six. So my entire teenage years and the beginning of my 20s have been in this fight. And it's not long. I can look at other freedom fighters that have been doing this way longer than me. But to just see incident after incident after incident, and I'm about to be 30 next month, and I see that there's been no real systemic change, that it's in fact gotten worse. I don't know where to go from here. And I just think about the mothers of the the young men and young black women that are that are constantly being killed by law enforcement and by white people that deputize themselves to beat to police us and police our bodies and police our freedoms. And yes, we make light of it in memes and calling people Karen and you know all of these things, but this is really killing us. And I just don't know where to go from here. And I talked with Janelle earlier today about this. I, it is reminding me of what I call bloody summer, summer 2016, when it was Alton yeah. and it was yeah. Philando. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like it's happening all over again. And it's funny because Trump bookmarks both these periods. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, how do we, we're seeing mass death due to this virus. We're seeing mass black death because of systemic injustice and systemic racism because of the virus, because of this virus. Now we're seeing more death due to police brutality and my, my mind can't take it. It's, it's, I had to do a hard reset today and just talk to my students um, and just go mind my black business because <laughs> yeah. It is too it's too much and it's too heavy. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I echo the ladies uh completely. Um not to like make light of the subject at all. I'm shocked that Janelle would say that she's talked to people from Texas and say that we are the Southwest. I don't know who in Texas she has talked to. As somebody who's been in Texas for 37 years, we are the dirty south. We are not we are the Confederate South. I don't know who said we are the Southwest. Uh, that's pretty much about all the levity we're going to have on this here podcast for today. Right. Um, <laughs> Come on. I had to be able to say that. Oh, it's going to be heavy. I'm going to crack one joke, and that's about it. I'm with you, uh, brother. I'm with you, man. <laughs> you know, I, I, I echo my sisters completely, utterly, and totally. You know, I think when I found out about Ahmad, uh, because Tamise Hasty, uh, who I used to work with, and now I work with InterVarsity, and now I work alongside her and her nonprofit subculture um, that works with Black college students. And so she posted, hey, here's the link to this New York Times article. Everybody read this. And so I was like, wait, what's going on? What's happened? And the first thing was, oh, God, it's another shooting. Um and so I read the article the first time, but to be honest, I skimmed it. I didn't read it in its entirety, uh, and I'll get to why in a moment. But when I, I skimmed the article, the first thing that came to my mind is you, you have to be kidding me. We're doing a global pandemic right now. COVID-19, you know, outside is closed. We can't go nowhere. Like, I have a month, as the black women would say, of new growth on my head right now. I ain't been to the barbershop. <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, in six weeks, you know, I, I'm struggling right now. It's The waves are gone. It's just a fro right now. Uh, like, we haven't bought gas in God knows how long. I work in Amazon, so, like, I am concerned when I go in that warehouse, am I going to be exposed to this virus? So we're thinking about um, COVID-19. We're thinking about, I think, the immaturity and the inadequacies of this current presidential administration that is just affirmed and confirmed that we have known to begin with that this brother is ill-equipped to be able to lead the country in any capacity and that's been revealed during a global pandemic and so as we're, we're wrestling with these realities i'm like in the midst of all of that in the midst of a global pandemic in the midst of a racist and xenophobic president you mean to tell me that we have another unarmed shooting of a black person uh, and then, as uh, my lady, my friends just mentioned to, alluded to rather, then the video came out. And that's when I was like, you got to be kidding me. Um, I have not watched the video. And again, I'll get to that in a second. What I did was I went back and read the article for real, for real. And what struck me was that, that this brother was killed February 23rd. And I was like, not only is it the reality that another unarmed black person has been killed, not only that um, white supremacy has found a way to destroy another black body in the midst of all of this, you mean it's been almost two and a half months before it's hit mainstream news? And people can say like, you know, the pandemic was going on. It wasn't on and popping like that in March in America, number one. Number right. two, if you have a former black police officer shoot an unarmed white person, global pandemic, Mar Martians can land in Detroit, Michigan, it would still make the news that a black police officer, former black police officer, shot an unarmed white person. It would still make mainstream news. So, like, whiteness was able to target this brother while he was running. It was able to kill this brother while he was running. And it was able to suppress the story and continue on as business as usual for two and a half months. So all that, I think, is germinating in my mind. Um, and then precisely like Janelle and Dom were saying, this is the first video for me that I have not watched. Um, this is the first time in the litany of Black Lives Matter and all of the shootings that have taken place over this past decade that we've had to endure from Trayvon Martin on up until my namesake, Sean Reed, right now. This is the first video that I haven't watched, and I haven't watched it again precisely because of what they said, because of Philando Castile and Alton Sterling. To have those two shootings happen in the same day, my friend Latina Williams, now Latina Harris, said it best. Those two stayed with us. They stuck with us. Not saying that the other ones didn't, but to have two of them in the same day, both of them be on tape, the amount of trauma that I think was poured into us violently from that as a community, it's just, I don't have the emotional energy to be able to look at another one. I, I know what the video shows. It shows um, that Anglo-Saxon myth of white superiority deciding to dominate another black body, to police it, to presume its guilt rather than its innocence, um, and to proclaim itself judge, jury, and executioner with no evidence whatsoever. And then we have to wait with bated breath that an unjust court system, some type of way will demonstrate some monicum of justice. And that's even to have a grand jury. We're not even talking about an arrest. We're not even talking about a trial. We're not even talking about a conviction. We have such lowered expectations. It's like, can we even convene to meet to see if we are going to say that this was a crime? That's how from how far we've fallen in America. So kind of all of that is germinating in my mind, I think from an emotional and a cultural standpoint. From a theological standpoint, I just I I went back to Kelly Brown Douglas and Stanley mm. Brown, black bodies and the justice of God and how a black body is always dangerous and how a black body is always criminal. Uh, and that's really what we saw. We saw a free black body 
um, running in a neighborhood and because whiteness and white supremacy are real, white supremacy took a look at a free black body and said, this person is guilty of something. If not, they're guilty of trespassing into a white space. And so something must be done. And then we'll deal with whatever else they'll give to you later on. And so all that's just been germinating in my heart and in my mind. Uh, and it is a question of uh, how do we respond this time? We've heard all of the speeches. We've seen all of the tweets mm -hmm. from mm -hmm. seminary presidents, from white pastors who think that they are woke and they just, they mention <laughs> white supremacy in a tweet once a year. And so like, you know, they're colonized people of color, love them for it. Uh, we've seen all the politicians say, we've got to prosecute this person. We've been through all that. We've gone through this in a decade. And so how do we as a people come together? How do we as a people process this, this another notch in the trauma that's been this decade? And I'm not going to use the language of how do we move forward, but how do we uh, deal with life on life's terms at this season of compounding uh, injustice towards black bodies? Yeah, I like that. Um, I like that a lot. I mean, because I guess I am I got a couple of things that that roll through my mind in, in terms of, um, yeah, not moving forward. I feel like I've said those those words far too often. And, and you know, and for me, I mean, Dom, you talk about, man, like giving up hope. I mean, I, I have I've lost hope on so many different levels. Um, and it's and even while we're doing this podcast, I guess I want to make clear that. Sean, I like what you said. You said that, you know, this is this is more of soul tending. And I forget the exact words that you were talking about, but um, I, I appreciated that because, you know, by no means is a podcast, you know, going to solve things or whatever. But I felt like we just needed to, just to, a space to vent and a space to talk <laughs> about the audacity of 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 whiteness and and what that what it continues to reek in, in terms of wealth, uh, in terms of access. I mean, right. And, 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 and I mean, think about, I mean, who wasn't, and I know Sean King has his problems. So I, I, I do not want to deny that and what's going on. I mean, some of the stuff that he's posted lately though, and, and just the difference contrast, the difference between white people in New York being told, Oh, here's some free masks. And Hey, we're just got this as opposed to black folk being beat. Uh, you know, being being harassed, um, being swarmed. Um, what uh, theologically? Where are y'all at? I'm I'm curious. And again, this is open. This is not. And again, for those listening, this isn't going to be like, oh, we're going to tie it at the end and real nice little bow, and we're going to end it with a scripture. And Isaiah talks about this. I'm just literally just like, where are y'all at? Because all of y'all I know have a connection to Christian theology in one form, shape, or another. See, I thought you were going to say black Jesus, but you know, Christian theology works too. Hey, hey, hey. It works for now. It works for now. On. It black worked Jesus. for now. That's right. Come on. He, he died on a hill in Wakanda. Come on, somebody. Okay. On. Yeah. On a hill or away. Come on. Come on. Um, um I, I guess, so after I, I did watch both videos of Brother Ahmad and Brother Sean, um, and of course, I didn't know what to do afterwards. So I poured myself a glass of wine and I called up my mentor and tried to figure out, like, really, what the blank blank. Can I cuss? Yeah, this profane face. <laughs> yes, yes, sir. Yes, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Uh, what the fuck, Jesus? 
seriously, yep. what the fuck? And I don't say that flippantly. I don't say that loosely. I look, Jesus saved me. He saved my soul, like my soul, my body, all everything about me belongs to God. But I still can ask God, what the fuck? Hmm. And it's just this this wrestling that I'm I'm having with my my faith already looking at what we've been going through the past, you know, under this administration and even before that under Barack Obama, Black yeah. Lives Matter started under a black president. That's right. That's one thing we can never forget. That's right. Yeah. And so I'm I'm having these mo- like this moment, okay, what do I do with my faith and I remember there was a preacher um, who inspired me um, when I was eight years old. Uh, one, my my first time really seeing a woman stand in the pulpit and declare mm. um, the word of God. And she preached on Rizpah. And I had to go back in my memory bank and actually ask my mom, do you have that tape still so I can listen to it? Mm. Because the way she was able to connect Rizpah's story with the story of black women and black mothers in the nineties is helping me now. So no, I'm not looking at, you know, the cross. I'm, you know, not right now. I'm not looking at the creation story. I'm not looking at the eschaton. I'm, I'm sitting with Rizpa. Yeah. Waiting on justice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that's the only place I feel safe right now. That, mm. that is the only place I, I honestly feel safe is to just sit with my community and sit with my people and say, I don't know when it's coming. I don't know when it's going to happen. But one day, one day, we may not be here to see it. But one day, this will be different. Hmm. And it's interesting. I had to go back and read in that in that chapter is Second Kings. I can't remember which which I think it's 20, the 21st chapter. The whole problem started because there was a famine and God gave David the cure for the famine, which was to help the Gibeonites. And they say, well, go ahead and kill some of Saul's sons, but that doesn't stop the famine. What stops the famine is David giving justice to her sons and burying them with their fathers. That's the only thing that's really going to cure our sin-sick world is justice. I don't know how God's going to bring his justice. I don't know when he's going to come back and sit on his throne, but I'm waiting. I didn't believe in the rapture growing up. I thought people was crazy talking about it. I thought people were crazy talking about the second coming, even though growing up in church. But I need to see it. I need to see Jesus sitting Mm. on the throne. Mm. I need to see him make everything right. Because I need hope. So I'm just going to sit with my sister and we're going to wait on justice. Mm. I, uh, yeah. Sheesh, Dom. Um, you know, it's strange. I uh, 2020 really has been one of the best years for me, like emotionally mm-hmm. uh, and spiritually. And that's because 2019 was hell. Um, and really 2019 wasn't hell, but really like probably 2012 when uh, Trayvon got killed on up until 2019, when everything exploded in my life personally, those like seven years were just hell. Mm-hmm. And um, what my mentor and what my therapist uh, both told me is like, Sean, you don't know how to take care of yourself. Uh, and so what I've been doing for like the last six months, 
I have been focused on eating three meals a day, drinking eight glasses of water and getting eight hours of sleep. That's it. Nothing else. Um, to be, uh, I guess probably what we call a privileged, mediocre white man. I have been focused on myself and nothing else. And I think because of that, I didn't realize how tired I was. I didn't realize how angry I was. I didn't realize how much I had been carrying from the last decade. Hmm. And so I feel like I'm stepping into these shootings, um, still not quite healed and not quite whole, but with some boundaries up to say, this is the level at which I can engage. And kind of like Don was saying, like, I am very fragile right now. Like, I don't have a whole lot to be able to give to it. Here's what I can give and then I have to be able to stop. Otherwise it takes me down a dark road. Um, that it's taken me seven years to get off of. I think um, where I am theologically is, you know, I, we've all kind of been saying it's like we've all kind of grown really close over the years. And one thing I've been saying over and over again is I'm trying to decolonize my mind and decolonize my theology uh, as a student and as a former university staff. Hmm. And as somebody who's gotten an education at Fuller Seminary, but who grew up in the black church, um, whiteness is colonizing. And so mm. I've spent the last three or four years saying like, what does it mean to decolonize my mind? And when I think about um, these two brothers being killed, like I can't start with whiteness. I can't start uh, with slavery or with the murder of a black body. I can't start there. I have to start um, with creation, with us being created in God's image and that that image has been distorted uh, by sin in its depiction of white supremacy. Uh, because I have to remember that we are more than what white people say we are. We are more than how America treats us. And that what we are seeing and experiencing, like Dom said, it is temporary. Even if it's been a long 400 years, it is still temporary. Uh, and one day it will pass. We want to see it in our lifetimes. I have no idea at this point. None of us do. But I, I am rooted... Um, and the fact that it is temporary. And the only thing I'll say is, and I'll shut up, is um, I'm trying to figure out what does it mean for me just to be rooted in story. Um, we were having a conversation with our church on Wednesday night a couple of weeks ago. And one of the women um, on the, uh, in the small group, she was talking about how, like, you know, what exactly is the gospel? Is it that Jesus came and died and rose and kind of all that? And we were like, if you look in the New Testament, Jesus never explicitly says what the gospel is. He always says the kingdom of God is like a pearl of great price. The kingdom of God, what should I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed. He always tells a story when he describes the kingdom. He doesn't give this literal like definition of it. And I think Jesus is inviting us to like to breathe in a story and to live into that story. And so I've been trying to live into the good news of like, what does it mean to be that tree? Um, that is planted by streams of water? Uh, what does it mean to be that person that can be led to quiet waters and green pastures so I can be restored? And to ignore whatever it is that the trolls and that white supremacy says on social media because it's too toxic and it's too deafening. Um, and so that's where I find myself right now is I, I can't be, I'm not rooted in the tragedy of this story. I have to be rooted and the goodness that I see in black bodies, the goodness that I see in the creation that is black people, uh, because that compels me to pray. And that, like Don was saying, that compels me to define justice as not what um, a white theologian may say, which is, oh, rec racial reconciliation, let's come together. Uh, let's have a conversation, let's do a conference. Let's do a video conference on racial reconciliation that's led by white people who've never supervised, been supervised by a person of color who cannot recruit or retain people of color in their organizations, institutions, or churches. That's that's not the gospel. 
the gospel is how do we come together as a community and grieve appropriately and in the Lord's time, heal us and in the Lord's time, uh, restore us. And it's going to take some time. And so I'm, that's where I am right now. How am I rooted in story? How do I not rush it? How do I say, all right, God, you know where I am. You know how I feel. You know what is not in my tank. And you know what it means uh, for me to engage and what I need in order to engage. And so I really need to rest in your hands because I, I have no power over this at all. Only you do. God, only you can bring justice. Only you can save us. And so I am I am guarding my heart and I'm guarding my mind against foolishness. So I don't do nothing stupid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. I So for me, I've had, I think, two distinct theological reflection moments over these past two days. Uh, one was on my own and the other was offered to me by a friend today. Um, the one that I had on my own was rooted in Psalm 150 because back in November, I had started a project uh, where... Uh, I opened up a Facebook group and we would just read through the Psalms for 150 days. Now, when I started, it was more than 150 days ago. So that meant that I skipped some days, <laughs> but I landed on Psalm 150 yesterday. And, and after reading the news of the video, I actually watched the video as well. I decided to watch the video because I felt centered enough to do it. I watched the video. And I read the news articles. Actually, I read the news articles first um, to compare the differences. Um, and then I read Psalm 150 over and over and over again, because this psalm is all about praise. Praise ye the Lord. Praise him in a sanctuary. Praise him in the mighty heavens. Praise him with a timbrel and dance. Like it's all this, it's this high praise. And I kept asking myself, what does this have to do with what we're dealing with today? Like, how does, how does this speak to this pain and sorrow and suffering that we're engaging? And after a few reads of Psalm 150, uh, it, it dawned on me. Well, no, I, had a re I was reminded of the reflection that I had on Psalm 144, in which I asked the question, why does God prepare us for battle? and then fight our battles. And going down that trail, I begin to think about this whole journey through the Psalms and how the Psalms are so complicated and yeah. messy. And there's a lot of pain and sorrow and suffering and begging of God to act and do something about the wicked and the evilness in the world, uh, to do something about all the injustices in the world. Um, there's a lot of praise to God for how, for what God did uh, back in Egypt, this, that re, that memory of how God delivered Israel, and so I'm now I'm here in Psalm 150, and for the first time I'm reading this psalm, not as just simply something where we praise for the sake of praising, but Psalm 150 being a call to praise because in scripture, what we see is whenever they're going into battle, the worshipers go first and the praisers go first. And this sense of when we praise and when we worship God, it's it's almost this like battle cry. They say, God fight this battle. And, and kind of to Dom's point of this hopelessness and this almost desire to, to give up because it's been so long and, and it's so tiring 
and so exhausting it's to a point where I'm like okay God you have to fight this battle and it's funny because I think in my younger years I'm not that old but in my younger years <laughs> I, re- I remember kind of looking at the church and the old folks in the church and saying they're lost in this praise and worship right it's like they're not connected to what's actually going on in the world and what's going down they're disconnected because all they want to do is praise and i think for the first time i realized like no these are people who done seen some things Mm, these are people who who they they knew the impact of segregation right they they knew what it was for their parents not to be able to vote their parents came out and they themselves came out of Jim Crow as well right so they seen what we are seeing today and I can only imagine that they got to this place that said, this is, this is bigger than us. This is our Egypt. And we, we can't break Pharaoh, but God can. So we're just going to praise because we know that God can do it. And we are going to demand that God do justice on our behalf um, by beginning with our praise. And so for the first time, I had this kind of sense of, uh, connecting with those who have gone before me, the mothers in the church and the church fathers in the black church um, and what it meant for them to lay all their worship out uh, on Sunday morning and why we were in church all day, every day. Like literally, I grew up in one of them Pentecostal churches, like eight hours on Sunday, yes. like two to three hours yeah. every night of the week. Mm. Yes. 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 <laughs> I didn't understand yeah. why. But now I step back and I'm like, wait a minute. Like they were facing all of this too. And maybe this is why. But then the second reflection I had that was given to me by my friend Enos Velasquez McBride today, we had a conversation. She said she was taken to Genesis 4 and she started reading and and doing the whole moral analogy um, skill set that uh dr love secrets gave us at, mm-hmm. at fuller seminary and she just began to read genesis 4 of god talking to abel from the perspective today and she said i'll tell you what she said to me she just read straight from the scripture uh she said then the lord uh said to the the white man i forget what the perpetrator's name was he said i like I, it's not working it's not wait. what you say the white man wait <laughs> wait i'm sorry i had a patriarch is real i apologize for interrupting you janelle said i want to read directly from the scriptures genesis 4 no and the lord said to the white to man the white, no, 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 no listen listen listen, 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 listen. Hear, hear the story hear the story all right so the, the moral analogy here here we go then the lord said to the white man why are you so angry why is your face downcast if you do what is right will you not be accepted but if you do not do what is right white male supremacy is crouching at your door it desires to have Woo! you but you must Yikes. rule over it wow Yikes. Wow. Wait, wait, wait for it. Then let's skip down. And and she reads to me. She says, then the Lord said to the white man, where is your brother Ahmad? And I'll I'll add, where is your brother Sean? Mm. Right? Wow. Wow. Right? Wow. So these questions, because when she said that, what struck me, I was like, 
Everybody in our society is so worried about the angry black man and the angry black woman. But but what about these angry white people? Yes. Yes. What about these angry yes. white people that allow white male supremacy to master them? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's yeah. yes. And that's the reality, right? I mean, cause there I, I even likened it to you know, some of these cats getting recruited like to ISIS and being radicalized. I mean, I yeah. feel like, you know, and in speaking of Allie, I mean, I love her. She was just on the show not too long ago. And, um, you know, she tweeted, I forget when it was, but it was just like, you know, all these white folks can run out and watch one YouTube video to tell them that, you know, coronavirus is a, you know, it's been created and it's conspiracy theory this, but it's like you need all kind of evidence to tell you that, you know, Black people wasn't armed and this and this. And even in the comments, I retweeted this. It was just like this. Yeah, but we got to wait till all the facts come out. And it's almost like white folks just, they work off of a, a, a script. And, and it's and it's and it's funny because it's like, you know, even in class, I can hear, I can, you know, I can mm-hmm. almost tell where a white, white person is going to go when they, you know, push back on something. It's like, all right, just which, which, which route are you going? Because I already got a response for you, but just, just yeah. go on and pick your route. But it's just like you're right, that anger that um I mean, I think about my brother in law who's just like who's just angry, who's just he is he is so consumed with like the red coats will come back or just that and I'm like, when in in the the your history and in the United States history have you ever mm-hmm. been oh. You know, in that much fear, like I'm walking, walking back from my walk, you know, the family and I get out, you know, every day, do a three mile walk. It's a a great thing. It's been been really good for me just health wise. But I'm sitting there thinking, going through several neighborhoods, I'm leaving my neighborhood and, you know, going into the heart of whiteness. And I'm just like, what the hell is going on here? Because it takes one phone call, one little tweet, text, something. Mm -hmm. And the next thing you know, it's like, you know, these things are happening again, this radicalization that happens and part of it is is that that anger was there it's just being stoked and i'm like where is it coming from like what what is it what are you so fearful of (laughs) jesus yeah you know there's a um as i listen to y'all what comes to my mind really is uh i am not your negro james baldwin yeah and Mm -hmm. that that pivotal thing you know Mm -hmm. at the end of it when he says uh, i am not a nigga i'm a man and if Mm -hmm. a nigga exists it's because you created him and you need to ask yourself why a nigga needs to exist in the first place. And the answer to that question will determine the fate of the country. And, I, you know, that's what Janelle said theologically. I think, Dan, that's what you alluded to. That's what me and Dom are saying. There is this rage that exists uh, at the core of white supremacy that, you know, that Anglo-Saxon myth of white superiority that white people are made in the image of God. And as a consequence, uh, he has given them dominion and authority over the entire earth and a free black body threatens that period a free black body threatens that anglo-saxon white superiority myth that a free black body says that if it's not controlled by whiteness and if white people are superior to us if they can't control an inferior black body then what can they control Uh, a free black body says well there may be a different order of creation than we believe in what we know and that means that they're not superior, that they are equal. And that is frightening. When one is accustomed to privilege, equality feels like oppression. We all have said that before. And they are terrified, not that they are inferior to us, they are terrified that they are equal to us. And it scares them. 
and the way in which they demonstrate in their own mind that they are superior is to shed black blood. And it's utterly appalling. It's utterly appalling. And that's not just the atheists, the agnostics, or the ISIS believers. That's your conservative, sadly, sometimes too many evangelical Christians. It's the whole, it's too many of them. I ain't gonna say the whole lot because we got some that's allies, but it's too many of them. There is this deep-seated belief of superiority, and as a consequence, uh, if you're superior to something, you have to pretend to dominate uh, something, and far too often, that's a black body. Right, and so I think that I think that to to add to that, it's it's also this uh, sense or belief of inferiority within their own people group, right? within their own race, which is, which is, which is why they needed the racial constructs to say that we're better than someone else. Because as, as history evolves, what we see is black bodies being, um, treated as, uh, expendable casualties of whatever acts, whatever political acts, uh, that people in power decide to do. Uh, so you see with when crack cocaine was, uh, entered into the black communities to pay for wars happening in, in Nicaragua. Like they didn't care about the black bodies that would be um, negatively impacted by introducing crack cocaine into their communities. They, they didn't care. Um, they, they were just casualties of war, if you will. But they got their money and they were able to pay for their um, international interests it's like it's 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 things like that where it's like they they within their constructs of uh, of whiteness of white superiority over whiteness and how do i continue to be on top and how do i continue to be more powerful i have to continue to subjugate somebody else to make me feel better but also but they're really competing with each other and i think black black bodies tend to be just expendable in the process and it's really um, oftentimes what we see is people on the, the lower ranks, right? The lower ranks of within whiteness that tend to treat black bodies um, terribly, like in one-on-one -on -one in person. On the upper ranks, it's more systemic. It's like yeah. we're going to build this system <laughs> yeah. that is just going to keep money flowing our way to keep us on top of everybody because they just they really don't about what whatever color you are they just care about their money and their economics but that that blind hatred towards black skin is you really see when when white men who don't have as much economic power as other white men um you start to see that that personal hatred revealed and so you're dealing with these layers of race and racism and how the black body is treated uh whether systemically um as just expendable bodies or uh personally of just i sh i hate you because i don't have as much power as the next white man above me so it, there's mm. multiple things happening at the same time mm. Man, um, yeah, <laughs> I like that. That is, um, there's a couple things running through my mind. One, um, sometimes I think, and this is just my own 
wild thinking uh, that I was like, man, do do white folks have some kind of time machine where they can like, if something messes up and like black folk get ahead, then they can go back in time and mess it up? Because I feel like, man, and 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 then granted, I like you know we all know history, we all know that black folk, you know, were kings and queens, um, you know, years ago, prior, particularly prior to the transatlantic slave trade. Um, and it's, and it's, you know, my, my guest last week was, you know, Vince Bantu and, you know, him talking about just kind of looking beyond Christianity, uh, as a white man's religion, um, and looking at just the, you know, the ethnic, the true ethnic heritage, the really the black heritage of, you know, within, uh, Christianity and whatnot. So I think, Oftentimes colonization just gets in to all this, you know, and white folks have believed so many lies, right? There's so many lies built upon other lies, right? It's like, well, you shouldn't have more privilege than me, right? Like this is this is this is something that even my little alt-right students, you know, will say is like, well, yeah. why can't I say the N-word? Like, you know, if the rappers are saying it, there's no difference. <laughs> and why can't I dress up like a, right. a Mexican gardener on Halloween? You know, if you're going to do that, then you probably shouldn't be dressing up as, as a, a queen on, on, on Halloween either because that offends, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, y'all believe too many goddamn lies about, like, you just think you have the freedom for everything. <laughs> wow. Can we talk about for a moment, though, like, the, like, how white people try to differentiate themselves from one another to to say like well oh i'm not like that white guy uh, <laughs> right so because, yeah, I, because i didn't do blackface i can now say the n-word because like i'm not that white guy or because i because i voted for obama now i'm okay uh or because i'm liberal um, and not conservative, I'm okay. Can we talk about how white people try to differentiate themselves? Yes, we, we can have that conversation. Um, and, and so right now, right now, I live in, AKA Little Black Wakanda, I live in PG County, DC. So it's real chocolate. It's gentrifying, but it's still chocolate. Okay. I haven't been around a whole lot of white people in a long time. Evo-bo. So the way I speak to white folks that are, outside of, because I do have some white folks in my family that try it, um, and I do say the same thing to them, but I, I try to keep it as nice as possible. You have to show me differently. Mm-hmm. If you want to be so damn different, show me different. Yeah. Yep. Like, I, I don't have time for, oh, but I didn't say nigger. Well, you probably thought it. Mm-hmm. Well. Mm-hmm. And you probably whispered it under your breath a long time ago. <laughs> You don't absolve yourself from racism just because it wasn't seen. No, you don't get to be different unless you are. I'm doubting Thomas. Let me put my finger in your side to see that you've changed. Yeah, that's real. Like, no, I need to see different if you want to be so damn different. I echo Dom. I'm from Show Me, Texas. My grandmother said that when I was a kid. My mama said when I was growing up. And that's I'm don't tell me, show me. I am from Show Me, Texas. Uh, I have four thousand Facebook friends. Most of them are white people that I met one time at an university conference at some point in the course of my sixteen years of being there. Uh, and I am slowly not unfriending all of them, but I'm unfriending a lot of them just because I don't know them. They don't know me. I am their token black friend, and when these incidents pop up, it's like I only hear from them like when there's an unarmed shooting of a black person. 
I get a litany of private Facebook messages. I get a litany of text message. Hey, brother, praying for you, checking oh, in, man. wanting to see how you're doing. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, that was that was great in 2012 when Trayvon Martin got killed. Yeah, it was a surprise when Michael Brown got killed. Okay, and then we got John Crawford. We got Renisha McBride. We got Tamir oh. Rice. We got Philando Castile, Alton Serlin. As my mama told me when she was 70, uh, I have forgotten the names of all the unarmed black people who have been killed in this country. Oh. Like, that list goes on and on and on. And at some point, you get tired of the text messages. Like, I just, I'm from Show Me, Texas. Don't tell me, show me. That's one. The second thing is, um, I don't have level one conversations with white people anymore. Like, uh, I think you heard it, and Dom is like, I love Dom to life. You know, Dan is like, he calls me and Dom when like all this stuff pops up because he knows we're going to be ignorant and keep it real. And Janelle was the only one on the podcast right now. Uh, but uh, me and Dom be ignorant. Uh, but like, you heard it in the Dom's voice when we started, right? Like, you heard the pain, I think, in her voice as she was processing and is processing all of that. And we all have it. I think she is emoting it vocally. I think more than Janelle and I both are right now, but we all feel it deeply. And because of that, like that's that for me, I don't have level one conversations with white people anymore. I'm not going to bracket my mourning um, and stop my pain and my lament and my mourn and my rage and my, my righteous anger to help you understand why this is unjust. There's 400 years of history you can hop on Google. You can go to Amazon.com and yeah. type in books on race, whether they're right or they're Amen. wrong. You can jump into the stream and be autodidactic. You can be self-taught like you are in every other yes, sir. study when you want to learn something. Yeah. It is your desire to learn does not produce in me a desire to educate anymore. Come and on. There's like I've had a couple of friends that, you know, with COVID-19 going on, um, like, you know, we're going to reopen the country. Let's reopen the barbershops, but not the country clubs. Uh, even though black and brown bodies are predominantly, um, we have higher cases of the disease right now. And so I put on Facebook a couple of days ago, you know, as for me and my house, we're going to stay at home. First Sean 2 and 22 or whatever the verse was. And I had someone that was um, a classmate of mine. He was like, you know, you mean you're not going out? And I was like, first of all, I work at a warehouse in Amazon right now. So the ones that's on the news for having all them COVID-19 outbreaks and they don't tell none of us till two weeks later because they don't want to get sued. The ones that made $25 billion and they only gave us a $2 raise. Yeah, I work there. So I was like, you are ignoring my context. And this is the second time you've attempted to do this. Tread very softly, sir. And all of my friends saw it. He tried to defend himself. And I was like, I unfriended him. Like, I'm just, I'm not having any of those level one <laughs> conversations anymore. That was cute in 2012. Uh, we we are not going to have the conversation right now. We're not yeah. down and say, okay, so what are you guys thinking and feeling right now? Or how can we come together? We want to have a panel discussion on race and ethnicity because I want you to take all the pain and all the sorrow that you're feeling right now. And I want you to go up on this mountain and I want you to sacrifice yourself. You are, no, I'm sorry, you don't sacrifice yourself. That's not what Gusto Gonzalez says. We're the ram in the bush in Genesis 22. We are the one that gets sacrificed so that white bodies can like come back down the mountain with all of this wisdom in terms of all the pain and anguish that we've experienced. They're the Isaac that doesn't get sacrificed. We're the ram that gets killed. And I'm just, I'm just not doing that anymore. There's nothing in my mind, in my estimation, that's redemptive or helpful from that. There are people that can do that, that are black and brown and white, that can stand in the gap. I've stood in the gap. I've got the scars. It cost me tremendously, my own mental and emotional and spiritual health. Mm. In this journey in my life, while mm. we are still being killed right now, 
this podcast was supposed to be on one black body. And by the time we got the yep. email and the text message to yes. the yes. time for the call, yes. another one has been killed yes. with a video. No, yes. no, I'm not. I'm not going to give you a list of books to read. I'm not going to counsel you. We're not going to, what did Dr. John Perkins say? I'm tired of having coffee with white people. I ain't having no more coffee with white people to help y'all understand the realities of what's happening in the country. Do your own due diligence. That's how you can honor black bodies. Go learn all by yourself about what's happening in this country. Uh, right. James Baldwin said it best. You don't know what's going on on the other side of the tracks because you don't want to know. And if you legitimately cared, you would come with your own knowledge. I would see some dirt under your proverbial fingernails that you actually are doing yes. work, that you actually care about this. And until I see some dirt under your nails, like Dom said, I ain't believing it till I see it. Mm. And I would just go a little bit, excuse me, Janelle, if you are going to trouble black people, pay them. If you are going to, yeah. if you are going to come on, word of the Lord, to ask me some questions, so your stupid ass will feel better about yourself when you go to bed at night. Hit my cash app, cash app D Robbins Cole. If you have so many damn questions and you want to prove you so damn different, before you ask any of my friends to be on a panel discussion, before you bother us any further, pay us because our work is not cheap and we are traumatized enough. Run us our coin. Sorry, Janelle. Go right ahead. Hippopotamus. <laughs> yes, he is. Yes. E Bobo. Right? Who shot Tupac? Give it praise, Saints. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, what I was going to say is that uh, I have a temporary housemate um, who is a Karen. Um, and today. Janelle <laughs> 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 was great. I love it. I love it. I to uh, so I went down to make lunch and everyone was in the kitchen they asked me well how's your day going now Dom and I we we've had our conversation this morning about Sean Reed and I had done some reading and um getting watching the videos of Sean Reed uh as well and so I began to explain the case to them and um this this particular Karen would identify as as a liberal Oh, she says worst ones. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> she says, I can't believe that this is 2020 that something like this would happen. And I just look at her and I said, that's because you're white. And I was like, and if you have been paying attention to black people, we have been screaming for decades that this is still happening. Mm -hmm. like, but no, no, no. I just can't believe that this that it, but it's 2020. Like, how could someone, like, just kill another black man in, in cold blood when he wasn't doing anything? That Like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, this is 2020. Like, she kept repeating herself. Mm -hmm. So I just repeated myself. I was like, that's because you're white. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> and you right. haven't been listening to the black community, right? So, so that's the extent to which uh, I, I am willing to, to engage white folks. It's just now, it's just to be point blank. It's to say, you know, that's because of your whiteness. Um, you're not listening to us mm -hmm. and you need to go read a history book. Actually, to that point, because I I, um, I do racial justice leadership coaching and I've come to a point where I don't, even though people have approached me and asked me like if 
uh, this reconciliation book is a good book to read or if, if that reconciliation book is a good book to read because white folks, especially white liberals, love reconciliation books. Whether they're written by Christian authors or secular authors, they love books that are going to talk about yep. how black people and white people can live together in harmony. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. And I stop recommending those oh, yeah. books because they don't mm-hmm. do anybody any good. Mm-hmm. And instead, mm-hmm. I start recommending history books. Um, I, I honestly say, like, you need to read this history book by uh, Henry Louis Gates Jr. Like, or yeah. um, you need to read Stamped by, oh, my goodness, who, I think that just dropped this January. Hold up. I got to pull this up so I, I get this one right. Um, it is a history book that is going over the narrative of of history through the lens of the black experience by um but it does it in such a way where it's easy read because they recognize that the attention span of people is so small now that they're like we had to write in such a way where it would keep everyone's attention span it's called stamped racism anti-racism and you a remix of the national uh book award-winning stamped from the beginning written by jason reynolds and ibram kendi Mm-hmm. Um, excellent, excellent history book. So I just start giving people history books. But like, you know what? If you, um, if you are really so concerned about black folks and white folks coming together, um, you just need to start educating yourself on history in the same way we had to educate ourselves on our history. Mm-hmm. And pay her for recommending you a damn book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yes. Thank you, Dom. Yes. I mean, and Thank I can't Dom. I can't overemphasize the payment part because it's this it's labor is costly. Yes. It's costly. It like is. when I think about uh, um Mary pouring the oil on the feet of Jesus, this is an alabaster box. Like this costs us something. The information, the wealth of knowledge that I'm listening to by way of the, the three of you, even listening to our circle. It mm-hmm. costs us something. Mm-hmm. Don't don't take it from us mm-hmm. for free. Don't take mm. it from us. Yep. And don't don't just because they take it and they discard it. Well, yeah, I mm-hmm. read this book that Janelle told me about, and that's the end of it. Oh, no, mm. if you're going yeah. to really be about this, I need you to sew into the work that I'm giving you. Yeah. Well, and and part of it is is because I've I've gotten past the you know because you know, it comes at you different ways, right? It's like, hey, brother Dan, can I um, yeah, man, I'd love to get you know, can I just pick your brain? You know, I'm I'm, I'm working on this, and I'm right. like, right, mm, pick, huh? Um, mm, I didn't right. when I went to Fuller, I couldn't just say, hey, you know, I want, I, I'd like a PhD. Can I just you know just pick some classes and I just pick, I you know, I give you two hundred dollars for the for the class, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-mm. Hell no. no! Right, Mm-mm. that did not happen. Mm-mm. Right, stop picking our brains. Stop, stop asking for uns. Like, stop just coming up to us and wanting us to lay all of our knowledge that we have gained through trauma, not just reading books. Right. If right. you yes. want it so damn bad, compensate me for this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But on the on the flip side of that, Dom, I think. As black people, we have the responsibility to stop giving our stuff away for free. And that's Amen. something that I have Amen. had to learn. Yeah. Right? Oh my God. Amen. We have a responsibility oh to stop building nonprofits and to Amen. start being entrepreneurs and building for profits and saying, oh my I'm trying a business, so I'm going to charge you and you have to pay mm-hmm. me because we have to sustain the economy. Remember, this is what you marched for. Pay Amen. Me. 
Amen. Like, Hip hopotamus. Uh, yeah. Out of my face, Sean. But yeah, you know, look, you're right. We have the responsibility to say this ain't for free. Mm-hmm. As the good Reverend Kendrick Lamar said, <laughs> this ain't for free. Uh, Janelle said something, Dom, you're crazy. Uh, Janelle said something that, um, and I want to thank you for saying it because you you were telling a story and um, I'm, I'm reading the New Testament this year uh, with some friends of mine. We're just like, no, no inductive Bible study. Alexio <laughs> Divina. We just, we just, you know, we just old folks reading that sucker. Uh, a chapter a day. Or a matter of fact, you just read it till something speaks to you and then you put it down and think about it. And um, there's a passage in Luke's gospel. It's just three, three verses. It's Luke chapter 12, verses 54 through 56. And it jumped out at me and I couldn't figure out why it jumped out. And then Janelle started talking and you were talking about your Karen and how she's like, I just don't understand in 2020 why this could happen. And Jesus is speaking to the crowd. And he says in Luke chapter 12, verse 54, He said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the West, immediately you say it's going to rain, and it does. And when the South wind blows, you say it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? Mm -hmm. And it's just been staying with me like, Mm -hmm. what, you know, what can I predict you know, I can I can predict that when Trump says something stupid, something stupider is going to happen in the country. I can predict that somebody in another country is going to be caught on tape laughing at this fool. I can predict when it, I can smell the rain in the air. You know, I can look at the odometer on my car and say, man, Negro, you need an oil change. You got to get these tires changed. Like, I can right. tell all of those things. Oh, look, the cops are pulled over. Let me go ahead and drive 10 miles below the speed limit so I don't get shot today. I can predict those things. But it's like, how can we look at these present times and not be aware of it? Um, And I think for our white brothers and sisters, there is something viscerally wrong or broken, uh, I think, in their sight, in their theology, that they are not able to to discern or to interpret the present times. How can there be such a glaring... um, a dichotomy, a glaring hole between what black people know to be true and what is foreign to white people in 2020. And I, I don't mean like, you know, like they're like, you know, 10 years behind us. Uh, what was it? Uh, uh, I, don't, I don't quote the pilgrims too often, but Ed Stetzer uh, said it the best. <laughs> uh, he said, if somehow the church today woke up in the 1950s, it would find itself 50 years behind the times. And, you know, like that's like that's where we are in 2020 right now, that the the horrors that took place in the 1950s and 60s are shocking to white people today in 2020. Like this is not new. My mom is not even phased by this. She is cooking right now with a smile on her face and a peace in her heart at 75. She is unbothered by this because she's seen it happen so many times. She told me right. to go to the seminary. She told me not to go to university. She said, I do not want you with the white Christians because how they view the world and how they will inform your thinking will not be helpful to black people. And here we are in 20- 
we all are trying to decolonize our minds because Lectio Divina and the books on racial reconciliation with race being a social construct, we found that none of it works. Not even for our own souls, but for our family members and our friends, the people that we want to be able to serve. We need something different. We need a deeper well, um, one that has, does not run dry because it was dug with white supremacy that has failed right. royally. Mm-hmm. So, Sean, I, I thank you for that. I thank you for that perspective. And what um, you have caused me to think about as uh, coming back to these two cases of Ahmad and Sean Reed and, and thinking about how, because they, they are different cases when you're looking at them from the lens of the victim. Um, So you have one who was going out for a jog and minding his own business. And then you have one guy who was driving, speeding, whatnot, police started chasing him and he uh, egged the police chase on, right? So you have these two different uh, scenarios and situations. But what is the same is how whiteness responds to these cases, Good right? Point. And and so in one case with Ahmad, you have the the system protect the assailants, yep. and they they're not trying to prosecute them, right? They're trying to put it all under the rug, let mm-hmm. them be, let them go. I mean, just like, I mean, it is classic Jim Crow. Oh, yeah. um, and like someone who's connected to um, law enforcement does an extra legal act and then the system defends that act. Um, well, then in the other case now, it's not the system uh, in full that has been defending the police officer and they're trying to push that the officer is a black officer, but anybody who has studied the history of policing know that there's a culture of policing that stems from whiteness. So regardless of what color you are as a police officer, you're trained to think in a way that has stemmed from the legacy of slave patrol, right? So if but we have, though, what I notice in a lot of the comments, it's actually the people that are coming behind the system of policing to reinforce the fact that uh, this this case is different and that therefore, like, this man is guilty and there should be no prosecution of the officer, et cetera, et cetera, right? So on one hand, the system did it. On the other hand, the people are doing it. But it's it's that same whiteness that is driving it. Um, and so, and, and what I want, uh, I want people to be careful about is that when you look at how Sean died and you look at the inconsistencies, thank God Sean had his Facebook live yes. on. Yes, oh like, my gosh, thank God. Oh my gosh, this, it, it, it still might not uh, help him because the way whiteness works, but my goodness, it makes a good case. Like he, cause there's like only two witnesses. It was right. him and the officer. Yeah. Um, and he's dead except for this 
Facebook Live video. And I'm looking in the video and he actually has two phones that he's mm-hmm. working, which, is, yep. which explains why he was driving so mm-hmm. crazy because yeah. if he tried to text on two phones and drive. <laughs> <laughs> right. You <laughs> bound yeah, Look. <laughs> you a G if you don't. <laughs> look. Seriously. So I, I'm looking at this and so they're saying, they're talking about a gun and the, and the officer, I, man, I watched the, the officer give a statement. The press conference. Talk- yep. The press conference. Yep. Yeah, the yep. officer is like the the suspect had a taser. I'm like, sir, you need to get your facts straight. You you even hadn't got your facts <laughs> you straight. You didn't know so that there I, was a video. Right, right. And so, like, how how are we supposed to believe you mm-hmm. when your story sounds fabricated? Except the white folks in the comments believed him, and mm-hmm. that what got me scared because. Yeah. In the same way that the system in Georgia believed the narrative of that ex-law enforcement man or alumni, whatever you call it, when someone retires from law law enforcement. But in the same way that the system in Georgia believed him, the people of America are believing the narrative of the police officers in the case of Sean Reed. And and that is what's concerning. You know, I, um, as I listen to y'all, just two things. One, um, uh, and uh, hopefully it's not hitting me. I think it is starting to, though. It is it is frightening to hear you refer to him by his first name um, for obvious reasons. And so I think to talk about um, Sean being killed by police officers, it's one thing for me to imagine myself in a story uh, it just even listening to y'all talk about it, like on the on this, the podcast is like triggering and terrifying, and but it's needed um, because there have been Johns, there have been there's probably a lot of kids named Trayvon. Now my middle name is Michael. The list goes Johns. The list goes on and on and on. Eric Gardner. The list goes on in terms of names, and so I just I feel it even as y'all say it with with every statement. The other thing is, um, you know, I think for people who um, listen to Dan's podcast as uh, a place of hope, a place of lament, a place of information and gathering. Uh, it feels like, you know, they've got some white friends that think that they are level two and they oh. listen to profane faith. And we talk about the concept <laughs> of whiteness uh, and we're talking about a black police officer. Uh, and I just encourage them like to remember that whiteness is a, is a con it's a concept uh-huh. and not, it's not just someone who is of European descent. Mm-hmm. Uh, to quote Willie James Jennings at the missiology lectures, uh, anybody can be white. Right. Mm-hmm. Anybody who was yes. colonized right. by a right. white theology that right. assumes white um, superiority as the gospel, the false gospel, uh, as uh, Carl Ellis calls it, Christianityism, uh, a version of Christianity that's just couched in white supremacy. If you believe that and adhere to it, you are white. Mm-hmm. And anybody can be white. Mm-hmm. And a black police officer that um, chose to use uh, lethal force in this context, and I, you know, I say that I do. I was I grew up in the '80s. I saw them like you know back in the day. You had to fight when you was a cop. What happened to those guys? Like you used to be able to wrestle people to the ground. They don't exist anymore. You just shoot on sight. First, ask questions later. You know what I'm mm. saying? Like, what happened to those fools? Like, I've we have seen the videos of white men pull guns on police. We saw a video last week of yeah. white yep. men with masks yep. off yep. in yep. Michigan. 
standing standing three millimeters, three centimeters from a police officer. What happened to Blue Lives Matter? Mm -hmm. They are yelling at these people at the top of their lungs. That is over and done with. But again, if you see a black body, the the presumption of innocence is readily dismissed, either because of Mm. implicit bias or because of the realities, again, of that Anglo-Saxon myth and having to dominate a black body. that it is trespassing into a white space, that it is guilty of something, and therefore lethal force uh, is warranted, and then we'll figure that out later. The fact that dignity was not bestowed upon that black person, and they say, let me figure out why is this brother speeding? And supposing me assuming that um, lethal force is going to be used in this context, why don't I use my training and let cooler heads prevail? The fact that we are at this space right now, yet again, um, and I say it, because it's just one of those stories that has stayed with me. I remember when Trayvon Martin was killed, and I don't remember which book it was, because y'all know we've read more books and more podcasts and listened to more elders to try to help us figure out what the hell is going on in this country. (laughs) I don't know who said it, but they were talking about when Trayvon Martin got killed and George Zimmerman was being a neighborhood watchman. He's like, you've got this 17-year-old kid walking home in the rain. Why was your first inclination to confront him and to pull out a gun? Where was your humanity? Why wasn't your first inclination to let this kid in the car and give him a ride home mm. he's walking in the rain? Right. And I think right. about that right now with Sean Reed. Why was this police officer's first inclination? He's speeding. He's guilty of something. Let me already enter into my mind that lethal force needs to be deemed necessary. You see another brother running. Why can't you in that moment even use your megaphone? Hey, man, I need to be able to pull you over for speeding. Your life is not in danger. Why don't you pull over? We can talk about it. I need to give you a citation. You should know how to de-escalate the the situation, if not as a police officer, as a black man who's been given the authority by your state. And as opposed to doing that, he decided to embrace whiteness. And now we've got two black men who were dead and a country re-engaged in this reality of of racial tension and grief and mourning. And you know what, Sean, what, what, um, to bring some narrative to what you just said, what there's so much of the story that is unclear and unheard on this uh, on the side of the officer because the sergeant, there was a few cars actually uh, following him once he picked up speed and they were chasing him. Um, and he had, you see in the video, he goes through a red light in the video. <laughs> like he, he does. He was driving erratically. He was driving erratically. He was driving. Yeah, he was. Um, but, and there's a few cars on him. And then the sergeant actually calls off the chase and they stop chasing him. But what what is unclear to me is why this one squad car, this one officer decides to continue to follow him. Um, it's, it's just, it's a question that I have. Like why, if your sergeant called it off, why are you still following him? Why are you still chasing after him? Because, um, and that's how we get this situation where it's one-on-one as opposed to a, like 10-on-one, right? I mean, mm-hmm. y'all seen y'all seen car chases in Los Angeles? Yeah. And how, like car chases <laughs> yeah. happen like, like weekly in Los Angeles. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And there's, there's always more than one squad car that's following right. a car chase. So, but, so in this particular instance, you do have a chase, but the sergeant calls it off after his vehicle starts to slow down or whatnot. And then you see in the Facebook Live part, the kid is like, oh, I lost him. They're not following any, me anymore. And he's mm-hmm. like, I'm just going to park my car and well, get out of here. 60 seconds and get out. Right. 
And but there was one officer who decided to keep following him. Mm-hmm. And what was going through his mind or why he felt the need to keep following him, why he felt the need to uh, keep pursuing after the sergeant called it off, like those questions need to be asked. Like mm-hmm. what like <laughs> not just why oh why was the kid driving recklessly or why was the why did he go through a red light or why didn't he stop and pull over why didn't he get his driver's license why like rather than just asking all the questions of the victim let's ask some questions of the guy who actually killed him to say why did he feel the need to keep going when his superior called the chase off just a question Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. yeah well, and that, and that's, and I think that's that's part of it, right? I mean, it's it is, and I think that's the the contrast that we have with this COVID nineteen with armed white men, majority armed white men, um, who are storming a a you know a Capitol building or, or you name it, right? Um, mm-hmm. But they are called you know these they're, they're called patriots. Oh, they can protest, you know, and they're yelling, and there's no question of whether or not. They have a weapon. That's 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 not even it's it's visible. Mm-hmm. There's several that are visible, um, and they walk out and everything's all good, you know. And it's like you know, then you you get turned around, and you see this, and it's like, oh man. I mean, I think that's part of the. I mean, my entry into all of this was you know uh, we are two years away from the 30th anniversary of you know the the uprising. We just you know mm-hmm. uh, had the 28 year. You know, I was just reflecting on that April 29th, you know, 1992, and here we are. April 29th, we'll pass April 29th, 2020. Yeah. We're two years away mm. from a 30 years being out of this. Wow. And I asked myself yeah, again. Rodney King, yeah. Rodney um, King, yeah. Rodney King, yes. For those who are trying to make yeah, the connection, Rodney. yes. Rodney King, <laughs> a lot of folks, the, the media called it riots. There was no riot. Mm-hmm. We knew what the hell we were doing. And, you know, it's it was an uprising. I mean, it was this, it was the culmination of you know, years of police brutality on, on black folks. Um, and I think, you know, I asked myself, I was like, well, what has changed? Right. I asked myself that at the 10 year mark, 2002, Mm -hmm. the 20 year mark, 2012. Mm -hmm. Right. And now I'm asking myself, this is about to ask myself this again in 30 years, what has changed 30 years, three decades. I'm like, wow, that's, that's some crazy shit. Like, at least for me, cause I like, yeah, I feel like, man, I was just 18 and now 30 years later, man, I'm, you know, facing goddamn 50 years old. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> what in the hell has changed? But you're right. Whiteness has continued to prevail. Um, and it, you know, in, and in all forms, it's like, you know, and the rules can change anytime. Right. We see that there are so many things that are fake, right? It's like, oh, the tax deadline, that's fake. It doesn't have to be April 15th. We made that up, so we'll just move it back to Everybody's, July. Every, everything is fake. The things right. that we've been protesting for, the things that we have put our bodies on the line for have yep. been always have been accomplishable. Mm. It always could have been reality. Yep. Yep. It's, Capitalism could have fallen. People don't want it to change, right? Exactly. That's the only reason why it doesn't exactly. change. Exactly. Like somebody's benefiting from it economically and they mm. don't want it to change. Exactly. Amazon made $25 billion during the global pandemic. <laughs> right. In, Come in on. five weeks. <laughs> Come on. Excuse me. Did Come I say on. that? Oh, that was an accident. That's, and that's, and, 
Exactly. Go ahead, Dom. <laughs> no, I was saying bless you to Sean because he was. Oh coughing. yeah, yeah, yeah. I was coughing. You thank you, yeah, thank yeah. you, Dom. Thank you. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. Fabrizio Eva, you know, he's a uh, Spanish philosopher. He talks about how you know for capitalism, for, for you know, for capitalism to work, the engine of capitalism to work, inequality has to exist because it is it is mm. the actual yes. the mechanism that drives it, right? Um, you know, and I know that gets under everybody, not everybody, but it gets under a lot of people's skin, especially evangelicalism, which for me, you know, uh, it is the arm of whiteness in religion and Christianity, right? It's like, that is, oh, completely. that yes. is the, the arm, the glove, the hand, and, you know, and it's like, it's just, and it continues to go out. Right. And it's like, mm-hmm. I, I have given up hope in institutions changing. I mean, I think about even fuller, right? It's like, Oh, okay. Well now we're in a crapper. Oh, now let's, let's hire Dwight. Let's hire Vince. Let's bring on soon. Child. Let's bring in all <laughs> kind of black foot. Now that it's uh-huh. shitty, let's bring, on the black. let's bring them back. Let's bring them on over here. Oh God! Oh, I'm going to be the last white president. I, I bet you are. Yes, yes. Yeah. It will be the black person after this, right? I mean, that's why Barack be a black got in. Woman, I'm about to say it's about yeah. to be a black woman as the president, right? That's at, how at theological seminary. That's how Barack got in. Like we, like the 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 sequence of events that needed to take place for us to have the first black president in the United States. First of all, he had to be above reproach because you know they was trying to find receipts on him. He is the husband of one wife. Like he has no outside children, no type, no scandals whatsoever. Aside from the fact he wore a tan suit during one news conference. That's the only scandal that brother had. They were looking for stuff on him. He had to have someone who was an older white man who was going, who if he had a heart attack, Sarah Palin was going to become the president right. of the United States. Um, and you need to be able to have George Bush lead us into a global recession. You need to like everything to be a hot, horrible mess and to not have a white male candidate be able to save the country for them to say, okay, fine, we'll give the Negro a chance. Right. That was it. And he did it for eight years. And when he was done, we got someone who is by far without question, the most unqualified person in the history of the country to ever lead it. Right. We got right. white lash. We got white lash. Right, we got white lash. Strong. We got white lash. And, it, and it's that. So one of the things that I've realized in, in studying the history of, of politics and race, first of all, let's be clear. Uh, American politics does not like black people. Whether you're like Republican, what? Democrat, right. it's just right. like. Right. Like, let's not pretend as if the Democratic Party is the Black People's Party. It's oh not. Like, yeah. the, the, the 1994 crime bill came from Bill Clinton. Like, right. yeah. and that yeah. was like That's when you get children getting uh, sentenced as adults. <laughs> like, that's the, that is the, mm-hmm. the flame that lit mass incarceration. Strong. Like yeah. One strike rule. One yep. strike rule. Yep. Right? And mm-hmm. so let's not pretend that that the, what Democrats or Republicans, like one of them is for black people, one of them is against black people. And remember that they switched, right? Republicans were the yeah. ones who, who freed the slaves yep. with the Emancipation Proclamation. Um, and then it switched, starting with like FDR when they were trying to get incentives for the civil rights movement. But what did not change is the conservative South. Right? That is true. The South yeah. stayed conservative. They that just switched true. parties. And so there's something about conservatism in America that is deeply tied to what, what Sean was talking about mm. earlier, about the hatred of black mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. because it messes with their money. 
right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Messes with their economic well-being. And Mm -hmm. so whenever whenever you have in America black people messing with white people's money, like stuff's going to go down. That's when we get killed. Right. King had no problems. He had no, they had rumors of him sleeping with women. No problems. I have a dream. No problems. Marches we coming to get our right. checks. No problems. We coming to get our checks. Uh, America owns us. <laughs> Y'all boycott one day. Yep. Coca-Cola, he is dead. Yeah. He protested the Vietnam War. No problems. Y'all y'all mess with the white people's money. That's how we really get him dead. All the problems. Mm-hmm. When you mess with their bottom line. That's it. Look, come on. Oh, yes. When you mess with the their bottom line. on their investment, yep. their bottom right. line. Their ROI. Democrat or ROI. Right? Right. Come on. That's why they send everybody back to work now and open everything up. We used to pay people to go to work. Now we pay them to stay at home. America, that's why they're trying to to open everything up now. Mm -mm. Don't Uh, sit at home and collect no checks. Get on uh, out there. We paid y'all for free. We gave y'all twelve hundred dollars because we cared. That that's you know, like reparations. <laughs> oh my god! Oh no, we can't. Do that. <laughs> y'all got to go back to work. Mm-mm. No, boy, they, Ooh, Jesus. they almost think we care about him. Y'all got to get the hell out of here. No, uh-uh. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Get sick. Half y'all need to die. We gonna Thanos this thing. That's Let's it. Right. That's right. it. Right. right. That's it. Oh right. my gosh. Oh my right. gosh. This this has been rich. This has been rich. Um I I'm I'm just I I'm just sitting here just like, oh my gosh, there's there's layer of layer. We're gonna Thanos it. I'm just like, man, that is we've been all over the spectrum, right? <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. I mean, I think this is what I was hoping with this because I think it's just it, it it there is something about just having you know some talk around this because again I'm not looking for five steps to I'm so beyond like the the bullshit yeah. racial reconciliation stuff yeah. that really doesn't like you were all were talking to all of you mentioned like you know we can't just give people books and I find that a lot particularly a lot of white liberals that's what they want hey well tell me a book tell me a book what's the what's, what's, what's oh, the book <laughs> but you know what I'm not I'm not taking no smoke off white people right now, white liberals, white conservatives. But we have to talk about and and you may want to edit this out, Dan. We have to talk about the black folks that have been pimping black trauma. Come on. And that have made yeah. it acceptable for white people to then come up to all yeah. of us who really ain't about like I mm. look. Mr. White Man, get the hell out of my face. Mm. I am not that black person. But we have to talk about the black people in our community that have pimped our trauma. Yeah. Black people are rising, like they have been silent, mm. radio silent. Mm-hmm. They are rising up on Twitter, they're mm-hmm. rising up on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Now suddenly there's so much content coming out that there just streams of it because of black, there's more black high profile killings. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. When you have that. You, of course, Mr. Happy Go Jolly, Mr. White Man's gonna come up to me asking me about a book because brother down the street is pimping my trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we have to deal with them just as much as we want to apply pressure and smoke to Mr. White Man. I agree. Yeah. I agree. No, absolutely. I think so, it, so, oh, so go with ahead. That, sorry. So with that, like I was, I texted Dom earlier today and I was like, why is Ben Crump? a lawyer a man is an op. Uh, on the on the case right for Ahmad Aubrey because I'm like he lost Trayvon Martin 
he he lost Mike Brown. Oh, not and that now boy. he's gonna look, look. he's gonna jump on this case too. Like y'all know me. Y'all know me. Y'all know I'm from West Philly. Anytime somebody keep getting out of jail and they keep committing crimes, it's cause you snitching. <laughs> That's what that's what we put. That's how we put it together. It makes sense. How you committing crime, you keep getting out of jail. Same thing with him. How you keep representing these high profile black people and they keep losing. But mm. the system is getting all this information. Mm. They're getting all of this information from you, how we think, all of our movements, how we even organize. Mm-hmm. They're getting it from him. Mm-hmm. That man is an op, y'all. Come on now. It does bring this up. There's a, a great, um, uh, uh, it's a documentary. Well, it's a couple of documentaries. One, Whose Streets, if, you, if, you, if you're listening. Oh, yes. Uh, yes. I've seen that. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. Um, and the activists in Ferguson, big love and shout out to folks who are still out there grinding, doing that work, because that stuff hasn't really ended. I mean, that stuff, I mean, that stuff's been popping off and a lot of folks have been killed. Stuff that doesn't even make the news, right? I mean, you know, activists that are being found in dumpsters, you know, half, you know, burnt and or mutilated and stuff. I mean, this is a type of sickness that is going on. Um, And then there's another one that... um, came out, uh, it's called The Great Hack, and it really focused around uh, Cambridge Analytica and just, you know, some of the madness that came out of that. But you're absolutely right about, you know, the people benefiting off of this stuff. And I mean, and I think about it, and one of those things that this that documentary revealed is just how advertising companies, okay, right. people who go in and work on branding have even worked to uh, market on either side. Doesn't matter if you conservative or liberal, black lives matter or all lives matter. We will, we will fund you and put your message out there. And I've just, I'm just, I'm that, that one got me. Cause it was like at yeah. the end of it, you see how that's this company, this advertising company, you know, uh, used black folk uh, to get votes for this other corporation, for this other people. And, I, and then it just kind of just reveals a lot of the things, right. That we've been, reading about and talking about and just how mass media and how um, it affects us and how it's so easy to get caught up in in the bandwagon. Um, April Rain writes, and you know, y'all can disagree or whatever, but it's interesting. She puts a, I just, I retweeted this and she said, please stop sharing and retweeting the video. We know what happened and those who need uh, video evidence to believe what uh, we know aren't going to be swayed by a video. Um and she talks it, you know, she talks about this trauma porn that, you know, gets put out there, um, you know, in regards to that. And, you know, and I, again, I'm, I'm torn on some of those things because it's like uh, I, it, I, I struggle because I didn't want to see this video. Yeah. Um, and I still haven't seen the one with the brother in Indianapolis. I, I'm just like, ah, oh, man, I don't I, it's it's yeah. It's 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 overwhelming to see this, especially having lived a lot. I mean, I've never been shot by police per se, but beaten by police. I mean, that's it's it, it, it triggers so many things. You talk about trauma. I mean, that's reliving that shit, seeing that. And then of course the white man on top of the truck, you know, run with a yeah. with a gun. I mean, it's just like, oh my gosh, this is so yeah. Um yeah. <laughs> It's, it's, it's heavy. It's a lot. And the only reason why I can say I still will watch the video and it's not for Trauma Born, I want to, I don't know if it's morbid, but I felt like this about my family members when they pass on. I want to make sure you're taking care of my dead. Yeah. I want to make sure that you are properly, and I know they're not doing it, which is why I want to make sure, okay, I've seen what they did to my brother. And I can testify ex- exactly what happened at that press conference, Janelle. They didn't know what we saw. Yeah. They didn't know what we saw happen to our brother. Mm-hmm. 
And so they can get up and tell a narrative that is completely fictitious. So I mm-hmm. watch those videos because I want to see what you did to my dad. I want, I want to see what you did to my brother. I want to make sure that his, I want to see his body. I want to, and it's just something about that. In black culture, we go to caskets, we view bodies, we have viewings because yeah. we want to see if our dead was taken care of. Mm. So I don't view it for, for trauma porn. I don't view it to get, you know, to, to recycle the images. Like I had a gun held in my head by the police, man. I don't, I don't do, I don't watch it for that. I just want to make sure, I want to see how y'all did my brother. How did y'all treat his body? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think this also kind of circles back to what Sean kicked off this whole podcast, talking about how is this time going to be different from the past times? How are, how are we going to respond differently mm-hmm. um, given the fact that we know that we have these traumas um, given the fact that we know how whiteness works and and how the police respond how society responds how whiteness responds are there ways in which that we can pursue justice that is not beating the same old drum um, is there any kind of creative imagination left that um, will somehow push the needle forward in a new, fresh way. I don't know. Uh, This is something that I'm trying to figure out and think through myself, but I just know racism adapts. It's like the flu virus. Like every year, it's a a new strain. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you can't do the same old tactics. Mm -hmm. They expect that. Like, they expect folks to march in the streets. Mm -hmm. Uh, They expect folks to camp out they expect they expect folks to do die-ins like they they expect us to repeat the same old tactics and they come ready right Mm -hmm. um and at the end of the day they just ignore it and keep signing the policies that they're gonna sign Mm -hmm. anyways um so we have to figure out a, a different way to approach this I don't know what that way is, uh, but I do know that it has to be sustainable. We can't kill ourselves in the process. If we kill ourselves in the process, whiteness wins because the goal of whiteness is to destroy the black body. So we have to be mindful of self-care throughout this whole process. We have to be mindful of staying centered and uh, in our own healing journey and process. Uh, I I went to the um, five-year anniversary of Mike Brown's death and commemorating Mm. what went down and there are many people there who were frontliners who were the people fighting uh the ferguson police when they were they had that militarized state right yeah Um, right and i'm looking at them and i could still see the trauma Mm -hmm. like in their bodies right you can physically see the trauma in their bodies and they're weeping um and the tears and i i honestly i don't want to be five more years down the line and we're holding the trauma that deeply in our bodies still with the added traumas right mm-hmm. so it's not just the one it's it's every single time there's a trauma it adds to our bodies like we've got to find a way that we can push racial justice forward uh, in the United States of America and not destroy our bodies in the process. 
Mm. That's that's my question. That's a mm-hmm. that's a good word. That's a good word. Well, an anthology. That ain't a question, girl. No. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> Um. Well, I want to be careful of everybody's time. I am so thankful. I know, Sean, you've had a full day of work. All of y'all had a full day of, of everything. Um. And I know that you all are probably going to be running out to buy um, John Piper's new book, Coronavirus and Christ, uh, which course. is out now. Um, I've got it on so, pre-order. Okay, so excellent. Excited. excellent. Yeah. I feel like John Piper needs to pay us for every order he sells. <laughs> <laughs> he, 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 to stop talking for you. Be sitting I want John Baptist Piper, Church for the rest of his life. What I want John Piper to do, but uh, amen. Uh, <laughs> God, amen. It's, it's, it's profane faith. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I feel you. Well, real quick for for folks who maybe they want to get a hold of you, not to pick your brain, but maybe to bring you out, pay you, and consult, or or in this day and age, maybe just pay you over a Zoom or whatever. Where where can folks get a hold of y'all and connect with y'all and you know all that good stuff, ladies. Janelle, you have more uh, contact information for me than me. You can go ahead first. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Okay, so uh, my company is called Racial Agency Initiative. Uh, you can go to rayofjustice.com, R-A-I of justice.com. And my email is welcome at R-A-I of justice.com. Um, all my information is there, bio, everything. Um, and then a, a link to my blog as well. You can find on my about page, all starting with that rep- website. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Dom underscore Devereaux or on my Instagram at Dom uh, underscore Devereaux, same handle. Um, and listen to my podcast, Good Morning Saints. Uh, you can check out my blog. That's www.smwatkins.com. S is in Sean, M is in Michael, Watkins.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter uh, at Sean is Fearless. And then I host another podcast with a group called Subculture, where we fill in the gap between uh, really white Christian organizations and the needs of black students. And I do a podcast over there called The Young and the Righteous, where I take the ignorant parts of the Old Testament and dip them in chocolate and just make that thing real black. So you can uh, check me out on any of those uh, streams. Damn. All right. All right. And for everybody listening, as always, whiteodgepodcast.com. I will put all these links in the show notes there. Um, So if you're listening on Apple or Stitcher or any of those places, you know, again, go to White Hodge Podcast. You can click on the show notes. And I also include all the previous podcasts that these great people were in uh, previously as well. Uh, So you can listen to their other thoughts and uh, inspiration, wisdom, words. If you want to pick some brains, you can just you can listen to those episodes. And like uh, and like Dom said you know you can you can pay us you know you you can pay us we got we all of us got some kind of cash app that we got around here so you know so (laughs) hook that up but i want to thank each of y'all really from the bottom of my heart this has been enlivening and and for me at least it's been a good uh therapeutic process in the midst of this and and knowing that you know there's there's so much work that has to be done um, and I, I am, I'm trying to figure out which, you know, which way is up, especially with this, you know, virus that's, that's, that's among us. Yes. You're uh, calling us together, uh, Dan, for real, man. I remember when the last time it was pick a shooting, but I think you asked me and Dom to come on then. And so as painful as these spaces are, it's been cathartic. I think it's, it's been healing yes. for us. Uh, yes. and so thank you for 
not creating, just creating the space in profane faith, but pausing, I think, uh, in your regular schedule to say, no, nah, let's get the fam together. Yes. Let's pour uh, a mm-hmm. drink, or in Janelle's case, some juice, and let's just figure out, <laughs> how do we figure out, like, you know. Like, you know. My business out there like <laughs> hey, I, was, I wasn't going to lie. I wasn't going to lie because you were going to come for me regardless. I was already out there, so I had to protect myself. We're going to pour something out and just say, like, like, let's just come together, fam. Like, what can we do? So, man, for real, thank you for that. Yes, thank yes. you so much. I, I appreciate it. It's been cathartic, and, and I needed this as well. Just thank you for it, both of you as well, Janelle and Sean. Of course. Yes. And thank as well, I thank everybody here, Dan. Thank you so much for creating this space, um, this space for voices to be uh, lifted up and for our feelings to be shared and just to be honest and raw. Um, This is a gift. You are a gift. Thank you. Well, thank you. That means a lot. Thank y'all. And then again, if we tell you that Negroes are being hung on the tree or being shot down illegally, unjustly, and those Negroes should do something to protect themselves, you say you're advocating violence. The white man is tricking you. He's trapping you. He doesn't call it violence when he lands troops in South Vietnam. Please, please, please. He doesn't call it violence when he lands troops in Berlin. When the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, he didn't say get nonviolent. He said, praise the Lord, but pass the ammunition. But when someone attacks you, when someone comes at you with a club, when someone comes at you with a rope, when someone comes at you with a gun, despite the fact that you've done nothing, he tells you, suffer peacefully. Pray for those who use you despitefully. Be long suffering. And how long can you suffer after suffering for 400 years?